before we uh, jump into the passage at hand this evening, I just, I know that many of us are facing uncertainty, are facing difficult things, are facing life changes, are facing a lot of stuff. I mean, we're in our, most of us are in our 20s, and those of us who are not in our 20s are retired, and so you're still facing different things, and so we're constantly facing new things. Um, but I just was reminded of Hebrews 12, um, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run the race with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And this is the part. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And so just in the midst of the things that we face, um, in the midst of the choices that we have to make, um, in the midst of the struggles that we go through, um, I think God is calling us to keep our eyes fixed on Him. And I think more than that, God is saying that He sees us and He knows us. And He's not far from us. He's with us. And He's leading us and He's guiding us. But in the midst of the things that we go through, sometimes it's so easy to just look at what's right in front of us. And God is saying, you have to lift your eyes and you have to see, you have to see me. Because if you keep your eyes fixed on me, the fear and the struggle and all of that stuff won't overwhelm you. Um, because you're going to know that I have it taken care of, that I've got something in the midst of this. And so I just wanted to share that as we kind of dive in tonight. And isn't it all what we're talking about? Um, but yeah, I just think it's so important for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So um, Tonight, uh, we're going to be diving into the second half of chapter 6, um, starting in verse 17. Last week, we took the first 16 verses and um, just talked about um, Jesus calling his disciples. And, and it just, I mean, I, I just am so in love with what we're going through in Luke. I just think it's so um, amazing to look. We talk about as Christians all the time that we need to look more like Jesus, right? That's a conversation we constantly have. And sometimes we don't even know what Jesus looks like. And that's what I love about going through a book of the Bible, um, one of the Gospels, is that we get to see what Jesus lived like, what he talked like, what he acted like, what he had for lunch, um, uh, the things that people slung at Jesus, the times when people tried to kill him and how he responded to that. We get to see all of what it looks like to really have a life that looks like Jesus, um, and tonight we're going to be talking about um, following a new way, um, following a new path. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about the, um, the battle between living life for self and living life for God um, that are uh, incompatible realities in our lives is to live life for self or to live life for God. And um, as most of you guys know, kind of my story, I spent most of my childhood attending church and Bible studies and home groups and camps and every other possible thing that you could do in church. I had the flannel graph thing in kids church. I did all of that church stuff as a kid. Um, and I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. Um, but it wasn't until the summer between my sophomore and junior years of high school, um, which was also the simultaneous time when Cassie and I kind of fired things up, um, that I don't know... <laughs> I don't know if that was just, it just happened, or uh, maybe, maybe she's the one who helped me. I don't know. Um, but it wasn't until then that I really decided that I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, uh, that I really decided that I wanted to do more than church, 
um, or play church. Um, but I really want to commit myself, commit myself to being a Christian, to living a life that looks like Jesus. Um, and during the same summer, I felt a strong call on my life from, from the Lord to, to go into pastoral ministry, which is what Cassie and I have been doing for almost the last decade of our lives, which is crazy. I'll be 30 this year. I feel old. Um, can't say that I'm in my 20s here after July 24th. Um, but that was when God spoke to me um, and just started doing things in my life that I, it was like, uh, uh, kind of like the Indiana Jones ride at um, Disneyland where you see the rock coming. It's like my life was a boulder and it was going down the hill and it was like, God, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. I'm not sure where you're taking me, but I, like it wouldn't stop and it just kept picking up speed as it was going along. And that's how it's felt for the last, I don't know, 14 years of my life um, with Jesus. But when I, when I felt this strong call from God, when I, when I decided to follow Jesus, I came to the realization that so many of my actions and thoughts were not particularly Christ-like. Um, so many of the things that I was doing and living, even as a teenager, were just didn't quite line up with what it looked like in Scripture. Um, and one of those vices for me was my potty mouth. Um, and the way that I would describe it is I, I said a lot of things on the basketball court and probably still do. Um, <laughs> Or with my friends at school um, that would have got me my mouth washed out at home. Um, I don't know how many of you guys had soap in the mouth as a kid, but I did, and it was unpleasant. And the things that came out of my mouth, if my mom would have heard them, man, I would have had that bar and the soap in my mouth. I'm not saying that's a great parenting strategy, um, but that's what my mom would have done to me. Um, and uh, when I made a decision to truly follow Jesus, I knew that there were so many things that, that Christ would want to change in me that he would want to do in me. And this wasn't a behavior modification. This wasn't like, Tyler, you need to do these things so that you can earn my love. But it was something that if I was really going to look more like Jesus, if I was really going to be all who God made me to be, I knew that there was a transformative process that was going to bring more hope and joy in my life as God made me look more like his son. Right? It wasn't about, stop doing that because you're bad. It was... Tyler, if you really want to look like a Christian, if you really want to you know, live a Christian life, here's some things that I'm going to have to work on in you. And the last 14 years of my life have been God doing that. And I love that he doesn't do it all at once because it would have overwhelmed me. There are so many things wrong with my humanity. And there are so many things wrong with your humanity as well um, because we have a sinful nature within us that I feel like so often wins in my life. My sinful nature just is like, you know, we all feel that way. When, you know, with, my, with Cassie sometimes, I can feel that bad attitude welling up in me and I can feel like, man, I just, I feel like I want to be grumpy today, right? I don't know, none of you guys probably ever feel that way, but it's like, and I fight it. I, I can feel this battle in, in me um, to fight that grumpiness and most of the time I lose. Um, but, but God started this process in me um, to live a life that looks more like Jesus. And, and he was showing me that there could be something better than the old way of my life, something that would bring hope and joy and, and do these things in me um, that, would, that would benefit me. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. That's what we're going to be looking at in, in Luke uh, 6. And so let's pick it up in verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those 
troubled by evil spirits, were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. During this time, uh, Jesus' fame uh, for his timely teaching and his incredible healing touch began spreading throughout the whole entire region of Jerusalem. And, and even outside of Israel, these places Tyre and Sidon, they were not in Israel. They would have been in modern-day Lebanon. Um, it began to spread, and people were traveling from all over the place um, to hear Jesus preach and to hear Jesus share and to just get close to Jesus. Um, I looked it up. Uh, Sidon from Jerusalem was about 300-mile journey. That's the difference between Stockton and Los Angeles. And they didn't have Amtrak. They didn't have a bus system. They didn't have cars that they could get there in six hours. They would have jumped on their donkey or in their wagon or in their carriage. And it it could have taken them days, if not weeks, to get to where Jesus was from these regions on the coast of Lebanon and Tyre and Sidon. They were both... um, Uh, seaports in that particular area. So they came a long way to see Jesus, right? Pretty incredible. And on this day, Jesus's 12 disciples um, would be making their first appearance as Jesus's disciples, as the apostles, right? This was their first public appearance. It's like when you get married and, uh, you know, you come into the reception and all of a sudden, everyone's sitting at their tables waiting for you to come in, and they all cheer for you, right? There wasn't a cheering section, but it was like their moment in the world with Jesus were, were these 12 guys and him, and this was their first encounter. And I think no one left this day being disappointed. Um, no one left this day like, oh man, shucks, I shouldn't have come from Tyre and Sidon. But instead, it says that everyone tried to touch him because his healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. And as we saw in Luke 5, um, as we looked at the man who was paralyzed, um, we see that the, the faith of, of people, we see that there, there was a desperation for a touch from God. And that they literally believed, if we could just get close to Jesus, if we can just, there's another story farther in the Gospels where there's a woman who, who has an affliction in her body, with, it says with blood, I don't know what that means, but says that she just touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. They believed that that Jesus was so powerful that even if they could get close to him, that they would feel this healing touch that God would do something in their lives. There was this great faith that he would literally rub off on them, right? Um, and Dr. Luke says that all of their ailments and diseases were healed by the great physician. We have to remember that during this time, there wasn't hospitals. There weren't really doctors. Like Luke wasn't, I mean... He wasn't really a doctor. I mean, he couldn't give you very many medications. It wasn't like there were pharmaceutical companies. They didn't have SLPs yet for all of your speech uh, and language disorders. Um, Their medical care was very rudimentary. And so if you were sick, chances are you would just die. Um, There was nobody who was going to heal you except for this guy, Jesus. Right? And they'd already seen a paralyzed man. They saw somebody with a shriveled up hand that was healed. I mean, there were these instances of Jesus um, beginning to heal. And people were coming from Los Angeles to Stockton, you know, to, to meet with Jesus and to see him work. And as these people began to surround Jesus and his disciples, the Lord starts into, I, I think, his most famous sermon of all time. This is what most people believe is this is the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is 
the Beatitudes. This is Jesus' great sermon that he shares. And it says, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you uh, wait you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you. Sounds fun, right? As evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets in the same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn into mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for your ancestors are also praised, also praised false prophets. And so Luke says that in the midst of the crowds and the miraculous moments of Jesus, that our Lord, he, he turned to his disciples and he began to teach them some deep truths about a new way of living. And this was a common occurrence for Jesus in the Gospels. Just take a, take a step back from the crowds, and he would focus on those people who are really serious about following God, right? He would focus on those who really wanted to live a Christ-like life, right? There are, there are, there's, there's a, you know, there's always the, the fans of Jesus, but he's really looking at who is going to be his followers, not just be in awe and inspired, by what he does, but when the hard stuff happens, which it does, uh, you know, I've told you guys several times that out of the out of the twelve disciples, um, minus Judas, there was another one who came in later. Eleven of them were were martyred for their faith, is believed. And the twelfth one, they tried to kill him. I was just reading in a book uh, this last week. They tried to kill him, but they were unsuccessful. And so he died of old age after they tried to murder him. That's what they believed. And so things were going to get more challenging for followers of Jesus. And so he was looking for those who would be tough and it would be able to stand the test of time. And most scholars believe that this passage is Luke's view of the Sermon on the Mount, which is also found in Matthew 5 through 7. It's, it's a much larger passage of scripture in the book of Matthew. Um, it's possible that it's the same passage. Other people think that Potentially, Jesus may have spoken this message in several locations um, to several different crowds, which is not totally uncommon with pastors. I don't know if Jesus did that, but I've spoken messages that I've spoken here at other, at other locations, so it's potential that Jesus had done that as well. In any case, Jesus starts this teaching with some thoughts on a new way as he shares the difference between living for God and living for self, right? which I think is very applicable to our culture today. Um, in verses 20 and 21, the Lord shares that he blesses the poor, the hungry, and the depressed. Um, he's speaking to his followers that aren't required to have it all together, right? That we can come to God and that we can find wholeness and healing. And I want to share with you guys again a quote that we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, where a pastor said, the church is the only group in the world where you have to be unqualified before you can join, right? And so he's not talking to somebody who who expects to have it figured out, right? Um, he's not talking to people who have to have their lives together. And I'm, I'm so glad that God's process in me is a lifelong journey, that I'm never going to come to the end to, and then I get to go to heaven, and I get to ha- be, be perfect with God. I get to have an amazing relationship with God in a way that I couldn't here on earth. But I love that it's a process. 
And even though Jesus speaks of a life as a Christian, as we talked about the challenges of the disciples, filled with sorrow and brokenness and pain, these things are not caused by God, but they're caused by the sinfulness of our world. And Jesus promises us three things in this passage as we go through the hardships of life that are guaranteed. Um, There are very few things guaranteed in life, but one of those is that we're going to get hurt and that there's going to be hard things that are going to happen to us. That, um, and that we're going to die, and that we're going to pay our taxes. Those are the things we are promised. But Jesus promises us, he says that when we go through these things, that he will bring us a life in the greatest family ever, in God's family. That we're going to belong to a family that is perfect, and that we have a father that that has never messed us up, that never could jack up our lives. And maybe some of us have come from families that are really great, and I had there's great things about my family, but there's no perfect family except for God's family. And He welcomes us into that. And then Jesus promises a deep spiritual satisfaction and a healthy soul, right? Man, a healthy soul can go a long way in a life filled with chaos, right? Even when the things are swirling around us, if us and God, if we're good, man, isn't that so great for us? When, when even when the things are squirreling, we just have a contentment. Like, God's got this. He's in charge. He's going to take care of us. Jesus promises that. He also promises us a time when there will be great laughter and great joy. Right? When we get to laugh. I think our God is funny. I think that He has jokes. I think that when we get to heaven, I think He's going to have the most incredible jokes. And they're going to all be clean, but they're going to be great. Right? Um, And I love Eugene Peterson's view of this passage as he says. This is his perspective. You are blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You are blessed when you are ravenously hungry. Then you are ready for the messianic meal. You are blessed when tears flow freely, for joy comes in the morning. Man, I think I need some more of that in my life. I need that when I go through the things that God Um, that that happen in this life. When we live for God, we face challenges, but we know that our Lord is with us and continues to be faithful to us every step of the way. On the other side of things, Luke speaks of those who choose to live for self. In verse 24, he speaks of those who are driven by greed, by luxury, by likability, and by fame. Right? And he says that these folks will receive sorrow and hunger and mourning. Um, and again, this is not from our Lord. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't punish people in this way. I don't believe that our God is a God who squashes us like bugs. But instead, what Jesus is saying is that there is an earthly and heavenly consequence for drinking water that will never satisfy us, right? We talked about living water. We've talked about that a lot. That there's a living water that God gives us that he, we drink it and then we won't, we won't need water again, right? Um, because it, it, it's, it's eternal that he gives us. But when we drink of greed and luxury and likability and the things of this world, it's never satisfactory to us. We never get to the end of our need or our wants for that. And I love what a Christian author, Jimmy Evans, said. One of my friends posted this um, on social media this last week. He said, The price of allowing truth into your life is temporary discomfort, followed by a lifetime of freedom and joy. Right? I think that pretty much sums up most things that God does in us, right? There's a temporary discomfort. You know, I've told you guys in my life that the way that God works is, is this like cutting me open and like doing open heart surgery in me. It literally feels like that. 
And there are times when I feel like I'm just walking around life with my whole chest exposed where it's all cut open and like anybody who pokes me is like poking my like organs and stuff. That's how it feels for me, right? There's a temporary discomfort, but, but what God does in my life is I know he's cutting me open to, to take the cancer out of me, to take the things in me that are not of him, to take the brokenness out of me and replace it with something that is fresh and new. And there's a temporary discomfort in that, yet I know that when I allow God to do what he does in my life, that it truly brings me a life, lifetime of freedom and joy, right? And I believe that God is choose, begging uh, for us to choose a new way of life, which leads to a great reward, both in heaven and on earth. I really believe that following Christ and his ways, even though it can be challenging at times, is the healthiest way to live, right? Is the healthiest way in in every part of our lives to live. And choosing God instead of choosing self leads to a rich and satisfying life of purpose, right? Um, and, And as Jesus continues in his sermon in verse 27, we see his continued focus on calling us up to a new way of living. He says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together, and make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. Um, The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in a friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Whew. Man, I think Jesus, th- them fighting words from Jesus, those are some pretty hard things. I don't, I don't think any of us would read this and say, okay, cool, that's easy. Let's, let's start that tomorrow, right? Um, but Jesus, he leads out by saying, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. Or as Eugene Peterson says, Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Right? So we see a Jesus who is calling us to a new level of sacrificial love. Right? I love that about Jesus. There is no amount of sacrifice and love that we can have for people that Jesus doesn't say, 
okay, that's awesome, but let's do more. Like, I saw what you did this week to love that person and, and to take it on the cheek and to not fight back, but you know what? I think you can do more. Or I saw how you gave money away, or I saw how you did this, but, but also I think that you're capable of more. I love that about God, that he, is, uh, he loves us just as we are, but he's constantly pulling us to do more and more and more, and he is not satisfied with us ever becoming just sitting down on the couch and eating potato chips. God is constantly saying, I see more in you. I know you can do more. I know that you can accomplish more. And it is no longer sufficient to Jesus for us just to love those who are lovable or those who think and act and talk like us, the people who share political affiliation with us, the people who are our friends, the people who smell like us, the people who wear clothes like us, right? That's not sufficient anymore. Instead, Jesus calls us to so much more. He calls us to live a compassion that is equal with the Lord's compassion for us. He says, literally, you must be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. That's pretty lofty goals for us. He's literally calling us to be as compassionate and as loving as our Father is for us. And our Father sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. That's pretty compassionate, right? Paul describes this new working in us, and we've read this several times, but I just keep coming back to it in Romans 12 too. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As Christians, we aren't called to look at the world around us and say everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay. Right? Instead, we are to look at the very image of God embodied in Jesus and say, that is my goal. Right? Paul describes this striving. He says, I know I will never reach the goal of living a life that is perfectly like Jesus, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to spend every waking, breathing moment of my life until I go to be with my Father to pursue Jesus in a way that I want to become more like Him, that I want to live a life of more of compassion, of love. Our Lord is speaking about His bride um, as well, not condemning those who have never met Jesus as a lost cause, right? This is probably the most common verse that even people who aren't Christians and don't know anything about the Bible, they know, like, don't judge people, right? I've heard that a million times. That's the one thing they know about Christianity. Um, and, and, and he's not talking about uh, Christians holding other Christians accountable. That's not at all what he's talking about, not even a little bit. But what he is talking about is for us as Christians looking around saying, I'm better than them, or that person's a lost cause, that person's too far from God. Um, and, and we don't have to condone the actions of those around us to love them unconditionally and to see them as Christ does, as his kids, right? We don't have to look around. There's lots of things in our world that I look around like, that is whack, man. That is not right. But that doesn't mean that I think the person is bad or doesn't mean that I think the person is too far gone from God. One biblical scholar says it this way, the Christian is called to unconditional love but he is not called to unconditional approval. We can really love people who do things that we do not approve of, right? But somehow in our culture, we've learned, well, if you don't agree with me, then I can't love you. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, yeah, I'm calling you to a new level of unconditional sacrificial love that where somebody's going to, they're going to punch you in the face 
and maybe not in a physical way, but in in an emotional way. And I'm going to ask you, will you still love them? Will you give them your other cheek and let them punch you on the other side? And let's see how much you really love people. Um, God is uh, constantly refining and reshaping our hearts and souls to see people the way that he sees them, to become more of an embodiment of Christ every day. And when we do this, we can help others see Jesus and come into relationship with their Savior and their Heavenly Father, right? When people begin to see Jesus in us, I think they begin to wonder what's different about us. They begin to say, there's something strange about them, and they can't even put their finger on it. They can't even wrap their mind around it, but we feel people who begin to gravitate themselves towards us, because not because we're amazing, but because of the Jesus that's within us, because of the joy that's within us. I was uh, on the phone the other day. Um, I was making a call for uh, a rental reference for somebody who was getting ready to move into our place, and I called, they were living with their mom at the time, and those can be really weird rental references when you call somebody's mom. Like, hey, are they good tenants? Do they pay the rent on time? Like, and I've had moms literally tell me, no, please do not rent to them. They are not going to be good. <laughs> so I called this lady, this old lady, and I, I talked to her, and she has really good things to say. And then I talked to the, the gal who we're going to let move in, and, and uh, she says, my mom said that you were really perky on the phone. <laughs> I was like, I guess. And so... I don't know if that meant anything, but it was like, to me, it was like when I live my life and I'm kind to people, that people notice there's something different about me. And maybe they call it perky. Maybe they call it excited. Maybe they call it energetic. I don't know what they call it, but they see something different in us because of the Jesus that dwells in us, right? And as we finish this sermon tonight, we see a God that shows us um, how to pursue a new way of living. He shows us you know, he, he doesn't just tell us, you need to go do this, right? Just try harder. Just work more. Just, just try to be more like Jesus. No, he shows us how we can do it. And he, he shows us that we need to build our lives on the rock, that we need to build our lives with a firm foundation on God, that we need to lay everything else about our lives on Jesus. He says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Makes sense? A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you said flows from what's in your heart. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you uh, what what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. What a profound words for our lives. In this section, Jesus boils all of this down to one real question. What's going on within your hearts? What's happening inside of you? Right? Again, we don't serve a God who's all about behavior modification. Just change the way that you act. He wants to know what's in our hearts. He's asking us if we have healthy souls. He's probing us to see if our lives are well built. Right? It makes me think this week we um, we picked up this uh, this house at work that we're flipping and uh, I joked with my boss that uh, 
that Kevin, I don't know what we can do to this house. You can't, you could put uh, makeup on a pig and it's still going to be a pig. Um, I don't really know how you're going to make this thing look nice, but we go into the bathroom uh, and uh, we walk through the whole house and there's tile that's broken everywhere, right? There's just broken pieces of tile and, and it's not on a, on a slab, a cement slab, it's on a raised elevation house. You go in the bathroom and you can feel the floor is like squishy, man. There's been some water in there and it's just bad, right? And, and you walk around and you begin to realize, man, all this tile, you know why it's broken? It's not broken because it was broken when they put it in. It's broken because the foundation wasn't right. It's broken because the rest of the house is slanty and on top of the slanty uh, floor, they didn't put what they were supposed to put down, which is a layer of, of material, and then put the tile on top of it. And, and we begin to see, we see the evidences of a bad foundation and broken tile. But underneath that, we have to realize that there's something going on. And that's what God is trying to get at. The tile in our lives, that's our behavior. What he wants to get at, and what we've had to do in this house, is we had to pull the floor up in the bathroom. We had to tear all the tile out, tear all the wood out. We're having somebody come in and jack the house up and put a new beam in the floor so that when we put the floor back and we put the tile back, that it's going to lay correctly and it's not going to crack, right? And that is what Jesus is trying to get at in our lives, is the foundation. We can change the tile all we want, and if we did that in this house, what would happen is that you'd walk on it for two months and it would break again because the foundation was never right. And that's what Jesus is getting at in our lives. In Proverbs 4.23, it talks about the fact that out of the well, out of the well, fring, out of a man's heart flows the wellspring of life, right? So out of who we, who we are deep within us, out of our souls flows how we really act and respond to other people. And, and Jesus is telling us that only healthy souls produce healthy fruit, right? Only healthy trees produce healthy fruit, right? Um, in Psalm 18.2, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. The Lord is my, my God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. And my question for us tonight, is this who Jesus is for us? Is he our foundation? Have we built our lives on our relationship with him? Or have we built our lives on what we can accomplish by our human effort? Have we built our lives on a shaky foundation that when we build the things on top of it, Right? We put the tile of it, and then we put the cabinets of it, and then we put the paint of it. And, and what we're, all we're doing is, is putting uh, makeup on a pig. Maybe you guys never heard that uh, euphemism before. Um, but God doesn't want us to just build our lives on a shaky foundation. He wants us to tear it all out, lay it all back new the way it's supposed to be, and then we build everything else on top of that. We build our careers on that. We build our our marriages on that. We build our relationships on that. We build our finances on that foundation. God is calling us to a new way. He's showing us a new way of living that can be challenging in the moment, but rewarding over the lifetime. He is telling us that Christian living involves building our lives on Him, living out of love and compassion, and fighting to look more like Jesus every day. Right? It's a battle that we live in. Not against flesh and blood, not against people, but about Against our, most of the time it's against our own uh, flesh that seeks to not live like Jesus. And when we pursue the ways of God in this manner, our lives will produce great fruit of lives changed by the Lord, 
um, that lives within us, right? We'll have those people who tell us that we sound perky on the phone. We'll have those people that um, we don't know why they keep calling us or keep trying to hang out with us or keep trying to spend time with us, but there's just something about us they can't get away from. But we don't have anything in common. I have guys in my life that I have nothing in common with them. Nothing. But there's this gravitation that is there when we follow Jesus because there's this love and compassion that wells within us. And so I think this is the type of life that God wants us to live, a life that is built on the foundation of Him, a life that is not about self, but is about living for God and living for others. And so we're going to take some time tonight, and I went way over 